0: Chapter number 17 this evening. We'll not um, read the the chapter now, but we'll read it as we we go along. But before we get to chapter 19 of Revelation, as we deal with the return of the Lord, we've got these two chapters left, excuse me, 17 and 18, that deal with uh, Babylon and the fate of Babylon. Now, Babylon and its fate has been mentioned before uh, as we've gone through the book of Revelation but here we have these two chapters that are kind of dedicated to what goes on in in Babylon and what happens at the fall. Um, So they're really kind of um, supplementary chapters, a little parenthesis in, in, in the the narrative of the, the vies, the bold judgments being poured out and how we touched on when we were there, how horrendous they were really, so horrendous that we're really um, you know, hurtling towards uh, Revelation 19 where the Lord comes you know, comes to set up his, his kingdom. But these two, two chapters are in the Word of God and they're in to show us what goes on at Babylon. Um, and when we're dealing with Babylon in Scripture, we're, we're dealing at times with a city. It's clear that it's a literal city at times, Babylon, through scripture, but it's also a system. It has an association uh, with it, and it symbolizes some, some things when it's spoken of, the same way Jerusalem does, in kind of the antithesis of that, the opposite of that. When we speak about Jerusalem, you know, we think about God, we think about his name, we think about you know, um, the characteristics that that place should have in terms of its holiness and its righteousness and its service of the one true God. Well, counter to that is Babylon. And when we think about Babylon, we don't think about the one true God, we think about the one false God. And we think about his system, and and that's what we're going to have a look at it. So it's really a kind of double meaning. Really a a city at times, but also it it symbolises so much more. And we're going to see this as we read the, the, the chapters. same kind of concept is when you think about Hollywood. For, for us for, for now. You know when I said ye, Hollywood? That's a real place, right? Yeah. But what do you associate with it? You know? Yeah, so you get that association. Rome, Roman Catholicism. There's an association uh, there. It's the same with, with Babylon. Um, one commentator writes this. He says, The ancient Babylon is better understood here as the archetypal head of all entrenched worldly resistance to God, Babylon is a trans-historical reality, including idolatrous kingdoms diverse as Sodom, Gomorrah, Egypt, Babylon, Tyre, Nineveh, and Rome. Babylon is an eschatological symbol of satanic deception and power. It is a divine mystery that can never be wholly reduced to empirical earthly institutions. It may be said that Babylon represents the total culture of the world apart from God while the divine system is depicted by the new Jerusalem. Rome is simply one manifestation of the total system. So when we deal with Babylon, there's so much more at play than just you know, ancient Babylon, the city, as it were. There's so much more at play when, when in the connotation of that name throughout Scripture. It is, it is, it is Satan's place. I want to call it that. God has a place where his name is, that's Jerusalem. Babylon is the place associated with Satan's name and that system, that false system. And and chapter 17 and 18 deal with um, that both the religious system in chapter 17 of Babylon and all its associations, and then chapter 18 deal with the commercial system of Babylon and all its associations. But we're dealing with chapter 17 tonight, the false religious system. Uh, you know the language there is, is is clear. If you look at verse one there of Revelation 17, John is called again, come hither. I will show unto you the judgment of the great. Poor that sits upon or sitteth upon many waters. Verse 5 says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So the harlot Babylon here, as it's being described, is described as the mother of all harlots. So this false religious system is the mother of all false religious systems. That's what we want to focus in on this evening. And, and to do that, we, we don't people go, well, Rome, well, Rome, Rome. Especially if you're a Protestant. <laughs> Easy target. But we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Where Mystery Babylon and Mystery Babylon religion began. So to do that, Let's go back in time. Turn to Genesis chapter number 10. Genesis chapter number 10. This is where we're going to bring in Nimrod. Nimrod, the grandson of Ham. Ham, one of the survivors of the flood. So this is is, uh, post-flood. And um, you know the world has been repopulated, basically, from the people that survived. So that's your new kind of generational arc down. If you look at verse ten of Genesis ten, we're introduced to uh, uh, Nimrod. Actually, look at verse eight. We'll read from verse eight there. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So here we're introduced to Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty hunter. This, I believe, and other commentators will agree with me on this, was one of the attributes that allowed him to quickly become a leader. Because in the um, kind of repopulation here of what's going on, is this you get this migration um, from, the, from the east across into these areas, you know, one of the the, the, the concepts was they weren't organised in terms of cities, in terms of big groups. They were very spread out, which I'm sure made them vulnerable, you know, to the elements, but also to the wild animals that were in and around those areas. Nimrod was a mighty hunter. You know, he, he said tradition says that he was a, you know, a Samsonite type character. He was a mighty hunter. Um, which meant that probably he was a good protector and therefore people um, fell under his leadership. And, and that's what he was. He was a leader of these uh, people. And if you look at verse 10, it says, In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. That is the first mention of a kingdom in Scripture. First mention. And it's Nimrod... Who begins his kingdom? The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Eric and Akad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. The name Nimrod means to rebel. That's what it carries in its connotation. Rebellion. Uh, Babel originally, Bab El was gate of God. That's what the place w- was, was named. And we're going to see this was a humanistic effort. Look at chapter 11, Genesis, verse number four. Well, we'll read from verse 1 just for a little bit of context. We've got time. What's an extra half hour between friends, right? (laughs) Genesis 11, verse 1. The whole earth was of one language, of one speech. This was God's design. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found the plain in the land of Shinar. So um, the land of Shinar, we're dealing with this, uh, where the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers Meat, this is the Babylonian area. Very fertile. Those of uh, great uh, plains to grow, crops, etc. So, you know, from a humanistic point of view, if you're going to put a, a colony down, if you're going to find a town or a city, this is a, this is a prime spot of land to be doing this. Verse 2, and it came to part... Sorry, verse 3. And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to now, let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. and Let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So here you have this gathering. This gathering is led by Nimrod. Nimrod is the leader. He is the, the head honcho in this, taking people in this direction to build this tower onto God, this gate of God, as it were. And I've said to you that the connotation a lot of people have, even you know, in the artist's depictions sometimes of the Tower of Babel, is that they were literally trying to make a stairway to heaven almost. And it was a stairway to heaven, but not physically, but, but spiritually. The problem was that it wasn't a stairway to the third heaven. You remember me telling you that the three heavens in Scripture Mm, Because Paul says it was caught up to the third heaven. That means there's one, two heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere and everything that we we are part of. The second is the stellar heavens, the sun, the moon and the stars. This stairway to heaven, this tower to heaven was being built to worship the stars. Now that's a problem, a huge problem because God goes on uh, later on to warn the Israelites about this very practice. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 4, verse 19. Now I've taken you to this verse before and um, it's important because God knows what happens when when we do this. Deuteronomy four verse nineteen. God warns the people, unless they lift up thine eyes unto heaven, when thou seest the sun, the moon, and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So the warning from God is Don't gaze at the stars because you'll get carried away and you'll start to worship those very stars. God knows the human heart. He has seen it throughout history. He first saw it at Babel, at Babylon in Genesis 11 where they built this center of astrology. What do they do? To worship the stars. Worship the stars. This is ancient Babylon. Ancient Babylon is not a god-made thing. It's a man-made effort led not by the one true God, but by the one false God. As has been said, that Satan or Satan Nimrod is the very first organized Satan worshipper, and I absolutely believe that. That's. Babylon. So when we get to Revelation chapter number 17, we're going to see that this Babylonian system that has infiltrated and gone throughout history, because you remember what happens in Genesis 11? We didn't read on in that passage. But God comes down and he sees that they're not doing what they're meant to be doing under the uh, Noahic covenant of Genesis 9. They're meant to go out and populate the earth. They're meant to spread out. Instead, they're gathered together as one people, one nation, and they're building this center of worship and they're worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars with Nimrod leading them. And God comes down and he changes the name from Bab-el to Babel. From gate of God Puts it together, meaning confusion. And he confuses their languages as a judgment and they're sent out. They're sent out. And they go out. But they bring mystery Babylon religion with them. That's why you see it all over the world. All the ancient civilizations, you can pull traces of mystery Babylon religion out of it. I think I mentioned before, if you've got Netflix, there's a, there's a program on. I mean, the guy doesn't. He, he's looking for something and he sees something that he can't work out. With, that, you know, the archaeologists want to tell you that the ancient people were thick. But the archaeology shows us that they were highly skilled. So this guy is like, there's something not right in the record here. He wants to put it down to an ancient people that have been wiped out, you know, Atlanteans and stuff like that. He's he's getting there, but he's missing it. But what he's going around and he's doing, he's looking at all these places and he's saying, they're all kind of connected. They all have kind of a flood epoch story. They're all building these kind of pyramids or or temples that are open-topped or pointing to heaven. There's a connection in there. What's the connection? I mean, I'm screaming from the sea. It's Babylon, mystery Babylon. You're close, but you get to the word of God and you'll, you'll find it. So... Mystery Babylon has gone out and and this system can all be traced back to this time where the mankind under the leadership of Nimrod, and there's some other stuff we'll look at it, there's other people involved in this leadership uh, uh, regime at um, Babel, is is that what's happened is man has come away from what God's principles are, started to worship the things that God has created instead of the creator. Now who talks about that in the New Testament? Oh, what's he talking about? He's talking about where it was in the beginning. Mystery Babylon. They knew the creator, but instead of worshiping the creator, they worshiped the created thing. And you can look through paganism, all the ancient religions, all the ancient um, kind of practices, and you will find somewhere in there, it's pointing back to the sun, the moon, the stars. What's it really pointing back to? Pointing back to Babel. Back to Babel. So that's what we want to look at tonight. That's introductions. Oh my goodness. Right. (laughs) We're going to look at the Babylonian system. And the first thing that we want to see, and and this is getting us into Revelation 17 now, verses 1 to 6, we're going to see that the system's exposed. So let's read verse 1 of Revelation 17. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying, Unto me, Come hither, I will show thee judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornications. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So here in these first six verses, this system is exposed. First number one tells us that this is the judgment of this system. This is dealing with the fall of this system that has been um, precursored in Revelation 16 and Revelation 14, that Babylon will fall. And the terminology is, you know, it's clear that there's nothing, it's not a positive description of Mystery Babylon. It says the great whore, in King James language. That's nothing good. We know that, don't we? That sitteth upon many waters. What are the many waters? Uh, verse 15 of the same chapter tells us. Remember that Scripture is always the best commentary in Scripture. Revelation seven fifteen, and he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth are the peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. This idea of sitting means Uh, having some control over the people. Verse 2 tells us that with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. This is this religious mix of state and and church, either false or true, whatever you want to call it. The inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. It's been controlled, it's been influenced by this false system of religion. Now, we see that through history, but this is primarily coming to its peak in the context of what we're talking about in the seven years of the tribulation period, the first three and a half years. Remember, the true church is gone. Right? We have Israel now leading the way. 144,000, the two witnesses. And there are people getting saved, but the church is gone. The pillar of truth and light is gone. Salt has gone. The Holy Spirit now lets, that's been restraining, lets go. And in comes this great deceiving uh, world religion. And we look at Revelation 13 and we can see the false prophet. And, you know, this is just the ecumenical movement that comes together and pulls everybody under the rug of this banner of deceit. The kings of the earth have cozied up to this false system because it suits them. Verse 3 John says, the woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten uh, horns. I don't know if you can remember where we've seen that imagery before in Revelation, but I'll give you a clue. Revelation 13. This is the Antichrist. This is the beast that comes from the land. And here we have this false religious system tied up with the ultimate false one. And these three and a half years in the Tribulation period are just absolute deception. They're full of deception, and people have fallen for it. But so here we see that you know there's it's it's control. There's a system over all the earth dwellers. There's influence. Verse 4 gives us some of the characteristics of this woman. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold, precious stones and pearls. So again, there's a materialistic element. There's money. Follow the money, isn't that what they say? This is the final product of Babylon mystery religion. This is the, 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 the last stand of Babylon mystery religion, actually. It began all those years ago. Uh, in Babel as we looked at this morning or uh, this morning, uh, earlier this evening. And when we looked at Babel we talked about Nimrod but there are other characters at play and one of the the prime characters there is a woman by the name of Semiramis. You may have heard of her. Nimrod was the wife of Semiramis. They had a son, Tammuz. The legend goes that Nimrod died and his body was cut into pieces and sent throughout the kingdom. And that Tammuz, the baby, was said to be the resurrected form of Nimrod. And actually that, that, that Tammuz, the sun, was a resurrected form of Nimrod that was really, Nimrod had turned into the sun god. And the sun god, so again sun, we're well, dealing with sun, moon and stars here, then was identified within in Tammuz. Um, Tammuz was later killed, allegedly, by a, a, a bear, a wild boar, sorry. And this Tammuz was promised to be the deliverer of the earth, the, f- the first Messiah. Because here's what you have to remember. that um, when you, In Genesis uh, 3, where you have the, the first evangelistic uh, claim that the Redeemer will come, if, if you remember when we were doing prayer on Wednesday night I took you back into, into Genesis when, when people first began to call upon the name of the Lord anybody remember that? no that's good so <laughs> when well, people first prayed to the Lord for the Redeemer what were they, they looking for? well Cain and Abel right and everybody thought Abel was it didn't they? what happened to him? he wiped out Cain wasn't it was he? No, definitely not. So what are they doing? They're waiting for another redeemer, a messiah. So when you get into Genesis, I can't remember exactly where it is in Genesis, early chapters. It says, "Man began to call upon the name of the Lord. What were they doing? Redeemer, redeemer, send the redeemer. Now we move on a little bit in Genesis, the flood you have those eight that are saved. They go on and form Mystery Babylon. The theme is still the same. man calling upon the name of the Lord for the Redeemer. So this identity that there was going to be a Redeemer, born of woman, that would solve the problem is still there. So um, Tammuz was promised to be the deliverer of the uh, earth, another false messiah, this counterfeit system. But he was killed. But then... Semiramis wept for 40 days. Again, there's no coincidence in all these things. talked about that this morning, didn't we? Tammuz came to life again. And the, the power of the resurrection was attributed to Semiramis. That she was the one that had resurrected Tammuz the son. And from that point on, she began to be worshipped as the queen of heaven. And then Thomas was worshipped as a resurrected deliverer. What happened here in ancient Babylon mystery Babylon we have the first um, kind of common together of this cult known as the mother child worship system. Babel we know became Babel confusion they were spread and as they spread they took this teaching, this mystery Babylonian teaching, mother-child cult with them and it spread. It spread. So in Phoenicia the mother was known as Ashtoreth, the son was known as Beal. Heard of them too? Yes. The Egyptians had Isis and the son Osiris. The Greeks Aphrodite and Eros. The Romans Venus and Cupid. Now where I'm going, where every Protestant loves to go. Where am I going? Who's the next mother and child cult? Mary. Mary and Jesus. Where's it all come from? It's come from Mystery Babylon. Let me show you. Here we go. If you can see here. Oh, I'll get up here. I'll use this one. This is moving from Isis to Mary. So this is this is Isis, the cult of Isis. It comes out of Really comes out of ancient Babylon, gets into Egypt. So if you look at the statue progression, what do do you see here? It's mother-son cult. See the the pectoral stuff? Now, we move on. There's the Coptic uh, Mary. You move a little on to the modern imagery of Mary. What do you have? It's just just a manifestation of that. Let me show you this. Here's some Isis and Mary statues. Which ones are Mary? Which ones are ISIS? You tell me. It's very hard to distinguish the two, right? Do you know why that is? I'll give you a clue. It's the same. It's the same. Same. What we see today is, as, as Madonna and child, as, as Mary with baby Jesus, is no more than a manifestation of ancient Babylon mystery religion. This has nothing to do with God. This is all to do with Nimrod. This is all to do with the deceiver, who has presented himself as, in many forms, the same form, Diana, Ashtoreth. Look at it, it's all mother-child, mother-child. Where does it come from? Not from the Bible. The mother is never promoted. Mary's never promoted to the the station that Rome gives her. It's not God's design. It's not the mother above the child. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, not in child form, but to the risen, resurrected, returning saviour. So when we look at all these, these things today in this mother, mother-child cult, we're going back to Babylon. We're going back to mystery Babylon uh, religion. So the system is exposed. You know, so again, because this, this mystery Babylon religion is spread out and it's gone, it, it, it's infiltrated everywhere. Now Rome brings it together nicely for us, but you, you see it all over. Holy water. That comes from mystery Babylon. Sign of the cross, actually. The the T. That that comes from Tammuz. From Mystery Babylon religion. Celibacy of priests. uh, Lent. The 40 days of Lent are 40 days of mourning for Tammuz. That's where it originally comes from. Anybody doing Lent this year? You're mourning for Tammuz. You're mourning for Tammuz. Purgatory. And again, this worship of the mother rather than the son, the queen of heaven. It's mystery Babylon religion. Revelation 17 exposes that mystery Babylon religion, tells us all about her, says that in verse 5, that upon her forehead was a name, this is Revelation 17, Upon her forehead was a name written, mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. That name on her forehead. In, in Rome, prostitutes have to, used to have like frontlets with their name on to identify them for their punters. I just want to have a better word. This harlot represents the mother of prostitutes, not one prostitute by herself, but the prostitute that has birthed all other. False religious systems. Roll the way back. This is where it takes us. This is the connecting dot here. Remember i have said over and over again, when you get into the book of Revelation, God is bringing things to a conclusion. He is tying everything up and he is bringing us back to the garden. And one of the things that needs to be de- dealt with is the Genesis 11 false religious system that has gone out and polluted the world. This is what we're dealing with in Revelation 17. Verse 6 tells us that the one was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And of course we we know this, we've seen this through history. The true believers have been persecuted generally, generally persecuted the largest by false religion. By false religion. So the system's explained or exposed then in verse 1 to 6. When you get into verse 7 to 15, uh, the system's explained. So verse 7 said, The angel said unto me, Wherefore did they marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and the beast that carry which have the seven heads and the ten horns. So now we get into, you know, from verse 7 uh, down there to verse 14, verse 15. You get more information about the beast, more information about the woman that's coming we know that the beast supplied the woman's power. Verses 9 and 10 there. I got mocked this morning for my Northern Irish accent so if I'm very conscious now where I'm saying the word power <laughs> I'm really not conscious at all. I love it. It is the greatest accent known to man. Mirror. Mirror. <laughs> right. You're going on my naughty list. Rosemary. me. But the base supplies the power. 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 I don't know how you English heathens say it, but there you go. Power. 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 Par. There's more par and par than there is in power. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. back back. We have this beast, and we know the beast is the Antichrist, so Revelation 13, 1-3, you'll, you'll find that. Verse 8 tells us the, uh, of Revelation 17, The beast that thou sawest, and was, and is not, shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. So there's a lot going on here actually in Revelation 17 and 18 um, there's a lot to unpack, a lot of different uh, threads and trails you can go down we're not going to go down a lot of them this evening for the sake of time but just to say that really I think a lot of this points in verse 8 to the actual resurrection of this beast Uh, when I say resurrection I really believe this is the midpoint of the tribulation and if you can remember back I know I say when, if you can remember back, but when we were in Revelation 12, we looked at the sliding career of Satan, if you can remember, and how that he's cast down to earth for those final three and a half years. It's at that point, I believe, he dwells the Antichrist and gives him this uh, perspective that he's been resurrected. He's just been possessed, really. And Satan has his three and a half years, the agreement, uh, with Israel is broken the temple is desecrated and you have this last three and a half years of the tribulation uh, period verses 8 to 13 we deal with the, um, verse 9 it says and here is the, the mind which hath wisdom the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sitteth so you know people will talk well this is, this is Rome it's talking about Rome and it's city of seven hills and uh, it, it might be, it might be, but it doesn't say hills, it says mountains for start. But there are, you know, Rome isn't the only place of city of Seven Hills. Jerusalem? said to be a city of Seven Hills? Babylon? was said to be the city of Seven Hills. So it seems in, 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 in ancient cultures that this um, concept is, is not unique. Um, who is it or what is it? You have to come to that conclusion for yourself. But what I do want to say to you is the text doesn't say hills. It says mountains in in verse 9 there. Um, We know when we get into Daniel that mountains and other portions of scripture can represent kingdoms and often do represent kingdoms. So John sees the woman sitting over seven rulers or nations, mountains. But she's not one of them. She exercises authority over them. So for me, I'd point you to kingdoms rather than a singular location there. And the seven, seven kings um, that rule over these seven kingdoms. Of course, the prominent one in John's day would be Rome. There's no doubt about that. Um, this gets us into a little bit of Daniel chapter 7. We don't have time to go there. But if you look into there, you'll see the, you know, the, the, the kingdoms that are, are kind of uh, focused upon taking us back to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia and Greece. Some say uh, it deals with Babylon and then uh, onwards that Babylon was the first, but give or take. So these are seven kingdoms that uh, have been on the world scene and one that was yet to come when you get down a little bit in there. The thing is, all these kingdoms, all these kings, when we look into the book of Daniel and we look at these, these kingdoms that have rattled off to you, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece, they all persecuted God's people. There's a connection there in terms of they're sold to the false system rather than the true uh, God. So again, we don't have time to delve into that. Go and look at the commentaries yourself. Have a little look into it. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's tons in there is what I'm saying that we don't have to look at. Time to look at. So the system's exposed, the system's explained, and then finally, the system is extinguished. Praise God. Verse 16. And the ten horns which they sawest upon the beast, they shall hate the whore and make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their heart to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So these ten horns represent the ten kings that grant their power and authority to this final kingdom, this rule of Antichrist, this is the eighth of which there's been seven before. Some people say the revived Roman Empire, and you know, I think you're on the right track with that. But it's the nature that we're more concerned at here. And what we see really is that the Antichrist and the ultimate system of the evil one uses false religion for, their own, for his own gain. When we get into this portion of scripture, again I believe this is the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, we find that the job has been done. The false religious system is needed no more and it's cast off. And now the Antichrist comes. He's got everyone together in this ecumenical movement. That halfway point, he's indwelt by Satan, and now it's Satan on the world scene. And he doesn't need his false religious system anymore. He has all he needs. And he comes as the head of this state, religion and takes it all. This is a marriage that's not based in mutual respect. This is a marriage that is just a one-way street. The devil's used false religion for his own goals and his own purposes from day one. From day one. From Babylon all those years ago. Here we have the downfall of this false system. She's made desolate so it says in verse 16, naked, so eat her flesh and burn her with fire. She's devoured, she's disgraced, and ultimately she's destroyed by the kings as they burn her with fire. And when they're finished with her, her false system will be no more. She's done. But notice verse 17. What a little verse that is. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. So, I mean, that's mind blowing, really. But what's going on? This is the sovereignty of God. Even in the most satanic circumstances, God is still not overruled. That his purposes are being served. Now, at no point is anybody in this scenario and in this scene a puppet. But yet, at all times, God is in control. How good is that? How good is that? These people are responsible for their actions. But yet, ultimately, behind the one who claims the throne, the false god, for this false system and this false truth lies the one who sits on the throne, whose power will never be usurped. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. Beautiful. Beautiful. God's always in control. So this false system, this ancient mystery Babylon religion, has been brought to its knees, it has been used, its purposes have been served. But how many, how many have been led to hell from Genesis 11 all the way to the point in time that we're even standing at now by this harlot? This very night, there'll be people meeting across Stoke that are sold to the whore of Babylon that are being told lies untruths and deceits and are caught up in the devil's system and they don't even know it yes Babylon will meet her end but that end is not yet and the not yet brings us to the now and the now is that we are people of truth. And the only way that people are going to get out of this false religious system is when we show them the true God and the true word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I read this, my heart breaks. And that should promote our evangelistic effort. This is why eschatology is so important. That there is a war field out there. It's a war field. And people are be taken to hell like rats by the pied piper because they've never been shown the one true God. It's our job to get out there and to do the work so that we can save as many as we can from the clutches of the mystery whore of Babylon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time in your